Welcome everybody uh, back to the Tepo Show. Um, hi Mark. Hey there, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. So Mark, we haven't, uh, we haven't recorded an episode in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really been a while. I think it's been over a year, Rob. So, um, so yeah, we've been pretty quiet for a very long. I hope, I hope some listeners, at least some of you, have missed us at least a little bit. <laughs> uh, so, Marek, um, you were quite busy, weren't you, finishing off your PhD? Yeah, I was. I was. So usually, you know, the excuse for not doing something is being busy but yeah i was busy i was finishing my phd and uh i did finish in in may this year so hopefully you know now we'll be able to record these podcasts again on a regular basis so uh do i have to refer to you as dr kitchkoviak from now on um i think you do yeah Okay. Okay. No, no that's no, uh, I'm so. Joking. I'm joking. It would be it would be really weird, you know. It would be probably one of those weird jokes when somebody is on the plane and somebody is dying, and then they find this person who's a doctor, something, you know, to rescue the dying person. So no, no, please don't do that. It will be very strange. Okay. So anyway, um, uh, Marek, so you've you finished the PhD and you're just uh. Have you been conferred yet? Have you got the papers? No, I haven't. It, it takes a very long time. So, um, you know, it's not going to be until January, late January, when the graduation is going to take place. So uh, there's still... Okay. A... Are they still thinking about it? Sorry? Are they still thinking about it? Are they still like... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think so. They're, they're probably going to tell me last minute that yeah. you can't get the, the, the PhD. They'll probably finally realize that, you know, my, my, my thesis, you know, was, was just a bit of a joke, you know? Um, yeah. So... So yeah, but you have to wait for for a couple of months. It's it probably depends when you finish your thesis, but you know the graduation ceremonies are only twice a year. So I missed the first one in September, and then so I have to wait until January, basically. Okay. So anyway, um, we're going to get back to it, and hopefully over the next uh, weeks and months we'll have um, uh, a few more episodes for you. We'll try to um, get them out regularly enough. Anyway over the next yeah. few months so so yeah if you, uh, if you did miss us and you know and if you want us to to record those podcasts and give us give us a like give us give us a share to sort of you know to cheer us on to continue regularly from now on again with the with the podcast that'd be great yeah yeah exactly um and also we're hoping that the quality of the podcast as well will have improved because we've both got uh new microphones now um so Hopefully, it will sound a little bit better for you uh, when you're listening. So uh, you can yeah, give us some so feedback. There are a couple of well. comments. We do take your comments into account, and a few people have commented on it before that the the sound quality wasn't sometimes good enough. So so that's why we decided to uh, now that we're getting back to podcasting again to you know to buy proper mics and improve the sound quality. Yeah, and we did. We were going to try to crowdfund uh, the purchase of the new microphones, but in the end, uh, we did manage to crowdfund it. But the 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 only member of the crowd that that funded us was ourselves, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So anyway, big, big the good crowd. news is that <laughs> the good news is that we've got two uh, decent microphones now, broadcast quality microphones. So hopefully, um, you you know the 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 sound will be a little bit better than it was before. We're we're hoping for that anyway. Um, so, um, right, today's episode, we're going to crack straight on with it, and it's all about the topic of conferences, so how to benefit from conferences. Now, uh, I should put a little disclaimer out there that um, 
I was part of the organizing committee for EAP in Ireland, so English for Academic Purposes in Ireland, which is going to take place uh, this weekend. So the weekend that we're recording this podcast, today's uh, Thursday the 5th, is it? 4th. Uh, Thursday the 4th. So Saturday the 6th is going to be the, the conference. We're up in um, the Marino Institute in Dublin, and uh, we've got a lot of exciting uh, people that are that are coming to talk as well. So we're going to be telling you a little bit later about that uh, as we go. So, um, Tony Marek, what advice do you have for us, uh, for those of us going to conferences and trying to get the most from it? Because you've, you've presented, you've been uh, presenting in lots of different conferences. Uh, you did a few plenary speeches as well, um, I know. And um, we've yeah, spoken yeah, together so, um, as well. I, I think for me, Personally, at the beginning, especially when I started going to conferences, I sort of tried to go to all the talks possible, you know, because you obviously kind of, you know, you're excited that you're there. You've just paid a lot of money to be there at that conferences. And I, I just went to every single talk on every single day. And, and that, was, that was great. You know, at the beginning, I was learning a lot from the talks. But then what I realized at some point what, that was that I was missing the sort of more social aspect and the networking aspect of the conferences, which at the moment for me is probably the most important thing. So if I was to give perhaps one advice now to my former self is to sort of obviously go to the talks you want to go to, but also take the advantage of being in this international environments with teachers from around the world and network with them, meet with them, you know, because sometimes the most interesting conversations and the things that you actually learn happen over coffee or over a beer in a pub or over lunch at the lunch break rather than actually in the conference room, which I think is great. And, you know, you get to meet great teachers from all around the world. Uh, you get to talk to them, exchange ideas and so on. So I think, you know, for me, the number one sort of way of now of benefiting from the conferences is to simply talk to people, network and socialize. I don't know if you found something similar, Rob, as well in your experience. Yeah, I think, I think that I definitely agree with you there that, um, you know, just being able to sit down and chat with people either in between the sessions or after the sessions, um, you know, to exchange ideas and just get to know uh, uh, people um, that are, let's say, blogging about EAP or, um, or ELT, as, as the case may be, or, you know, people that might have similar interests as you. Um, for example, you know, you're, uh, Marek, uh, you're quite passionate about um, non-native teachers of English. So, you know, like, it, whatever your topic, uh, your favorite topic might be, or your, your kind of speciality in ELT or in EAP, it's a great opportunity to meet uh, people with similar kind of interests uh, that are out there in the teaching world. And, you know, you can learn from them, you can exchange ideas, you can build networks, uh, you can create projects like blogs or podcasts or, or whatnot. So, yeah, that networking um, ability, I suppose, that you have, like, is, is brilliant. Uh, plus, it's just like... like something a question for you perhaps you know how maybe some listeners are kind of thinking especially if they haven't been to many conferences yet maybe you know they don't have many contacts so how do you network with people you get to a conference and what, what do you do I mean how do you meet 
those teachers, especially if you kind of ended up at the conference maybe on your own and you don't have too mm. many contacts? Well, I suppose the, the, the first set of contacts that you can make um, is actually the, the speakers. So, you know, putting, putting faces to names. So maybe you've heard of, let's say, for example, um, you know, uh, well, we like, let's say Scott Thornbury for, for uh, an example. Let's say you've heard of him, you've read uh, a few of his books. Maybe you might have read uh, some of his books in the Delta. Um, and then, you know, it's great to be able to put like a face and a personality to, to the author, to the name like that you, that you find in the books. And I don't know, it kind of, uh, it helps the, um, you know, just kind of know that, that that's like a real person. You can find out where they work and maybe even have a chance to talk to them either by asking the questions during their session or if there's question time at the end. Or, uh, you know, I, I, I think the best time to go up and talk to the speakers is not at the end of their session because they're usually surrounded by people with questions. But like if you happen to see them around, uh, at, you know, some other day at the conference or at the cafe or something like that, just go up and have a chat with them. Um, yeah, and people are actually, you know, really, really friendly and open to conversations because you might be thinking that, well, you know, how would I go up to somebody I've never met before? And, but, you're, you know, you're at the conference where everybody is interested in the same thing. And it, it's very easy, actually, to strike up conversations with, with new people at conferences. And another thing I would say is to sort of find out who's going to the conference and see if, you know, you can also reach out to them before the conference. So uh, sometimes, you know, there are people that I know from blogging or maybe from the ELT community on Twitter, let's say, and I might reach out to them, you know, and say, oh, you know, I know that you're going to the conference. It would be great to meet you for a coffee and discuss a couple of things and so on. And I think people are really responsive to that as well. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, as well, I think it's just a great opportunity, like, to, you know, to meet uh, the, the writers of course books uh, that you've been using to, um, like, uh, I mean, I, I remember a couple of sessions where, you know, I, I can't remember who the author was, but, you know, it, it was a book that I'd been using, I think it might have been um, um, IELTS, uh, objective Isles or something like that but anyway it was a book that I was using I, I, um, I had been using for like a couple of years and I went to uh, a talk that was done by the person who had written it uh, forgive me for not being able to remember uh, their name but um, it was great to be able to see the you know like why they put in certain types of activities or you know uh what was the purpose of such and such a thing in the book and you know what what kind of things were they trying to uh what you know the, the things that they thought were most important uh let's say in the book or the kind of types of activities that they were emphasizing in the book you know why did they have them in and it's great to hear kind of the the the, the behind the scenes sort of perspective on, on a course book, for example, or it could be on a, a theory book or, or something like that. I think they, they really help you to kind of get to know the books that are out there, get to know the writers and also something like that. You know, you might decide yourself that you want to go into course book writing, um, you know, yourself. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of part of the step is, is getting to know these people. And then maybe once, once you, you've spoken to them, um, I, I know, Marek, you, you know a few course book writers. And I suppose that uh, 
would be a brilliant asset to have if you if you choose to go and write a book yourself or write a course book. Because uh, Mark, I know you've been writing um, um, a theory book, right, for Delta Delta Publishing Company. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, is that I, right? I, so absolutely. I mean, what you said about just just knowing different different people and you know talking to them and exchanging ideas, then obviously they're more likely to help you or recommend you or, you know, if you've helped them before as well, or you've talked to them, they kind of know who you are, you've had a coffee and so on that can really help move your career forward. And, you know, if you're planning a change of career, or maybe, you know, you're moving to a new city or like myself, you, uh, you decided to write a teaching methodology book and so on. Those contacts that you've made at conferences with people from all around the world can be really, really helpful. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, Marek, do you want to tell us quickly, because I'm sure our listeners will be interested in hearing about your, your methodology book. So can you just give us a quick insight into that? Yeah, sure. So um, it's, the, the title, it's been confirmed already, is uh, Teaching English as a Lingua Franca, a journey from EFL, English as a Foreign Language, to ELF, English as a Lingua Franca. And as you said, it's for Delta Publishing, and hopefully it's going to be published in February next year so that's the the current um, publishing date and yeah we've been working on it for a couple of months now and it's basically going to to be about you know all the all the research that has been done into teaching english as a ling- into english as a lingua franca and also into native speakerism and how changing our approach to teaching uh, to a more sort of focused on teaching international or global English as a lingua franca, however you want to call it, can help us as well move away from some problematic native speakerist beliefs that we have in our profession. To give you just one example, there's, you know, there's this belief that all native speakers by the very definition are better models of pronunciation and as a result better teachers of pronunciation and obviously this is very much visible in how we teach pronunciation and how we present pronunciation in books as well and we argue that such beliefs and practices simply you know lead to the perpetuation of native speakerism as well and moving away from this to uh, to an approach that uh, focuses on an um, intelligibility, international English, English that is, you know, globally intelligible to a wide variety of speakers can help us sort of tackle, address this belief and then the wider ideology of native speakerism. And like with other Delta books, the, the book will be divided into three parts. The first part will be theoretical, where we present, you know, the theoretical basis for our ideas. And the second part will be practical. So we've prepared about 50 activities for teaching different skills like listening, pronunciation, communication, intercultural communicative skills, and so on. And then the last part will, in the last part, we'll address some other issues that we didn't have time to address in part A, such as teaching business English, teaching EAP, and teacher training, for example, and materials writing. So in a nutshell, that's this. If you're interested, then definitely keep your, keep your eye and ear out there for the, for the book. We'll definitely uh, announce it when it's, uh, when it's closer to the publication date. Yeah, that, that sounds fascinating. I can't wait to, to read that. And you actually, you're, um, you know, because I, I've been talking to you, Mark, about this uh, topic of native speakerism uh, for, for quite a while. And it definitely has had an influence on me um, 
from the point of view that you know I'm a speaker of a minority language, but I'm um, it's not my native language. And so this is Irish or or, or Irish Gaelic uh, Gaelga here as we as we call it. So um, you know I think with any minority language, I think um, you know that might be in danger in order to sort of um, um, uh, let's say ensure that the future of the language is a healthy one. I, I think new speakers of the language are, are essential um, and, you know, increasing numbers of speakers. So getting people who, who uh, didn't speak that language before to, to engage with the language and to start to identify with it is very important. And unfortunately here in Ireland, we have a kind of a, a native speaker worship, if you like. So uh, the native speakers of Irish tend to be, you know, they're, they're kind of, we get down on our knees and we kind of uh, genuflect to them because that's seen as the perfect form um, of the language and that, you know, non-natives will never get to that level of proficiency. And I think, uh, unfortunately, that, that point of view, it can be really damaging for minority languages because, you know, it, it turns learners off when you're, um, you know, when you're told from the very start that you can never reach the same level of proficiency with the language uh, as a native can then, you know, you just kind of think, well, why should I bother? You know, I'll, I'll always be damaged goods, if you like. Um, yeah. And I, I think um, it's, it's a similar situation, let's say, to, to non-native teachers. You know, that did, did, have you ever felt like that, Marek, that you are kind of damaged goods from, from uh, the, the, your like, um, birth certificate, like, and your, your kind of background of being Polish? Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, you know, at, at certain points in my career, I, I did feel like that because you're constantly told by different people that, yeah, well, you have a foreign accent or you just made a grammar mistake and a native speaker would have never made that grammar mistake. Those, those kind of things is definitely very much out there as well in, in our profession that, somehow any native speaker is more proficient than any non-native speaker can ever dream of becoming. It's, it's definitely an idea that's, that's out there and very firmly established in our profession and is, you know, not going anywhere, unfortunately, anytime soon. And, you know, people kind of associated with mostly with the discrimination in the job ads, you know, and the job ads for native speakers only, but it's, it's, a, it's an ideology that is much wider I think, and, and it's much widespread than, than just that, than the recruitment, you know, and, and it's visible in how we teach English, what I mentioned about pronunciation, how we train teachers when, you know, when I was trained in, in Poland, it was all about speaking either with received pronunciation or general American English, and it was all about learning about the culture of either uh, Britain or uh, America, obviously, Ireland was never mentioned because, you know, it's not important enough, probably. And <laughs> yeah. neither was, you know, there's, there's obviously that aspect as well, that not all native speaker are, speakers are equal, right? Hmm. Because certain Englishes are better than others. There's also that idea out there, you know, which is further propagated by, you know, how English is presented in course books, for example. When you look at course books, a lot of course books, have a very narrow range of standard Englishes, basically as well. Mm. But uh, anyway, I think we we've kind of we've, we're moving away a little bit from our main topic today, which is uh, conferences. So I want to I want to get back to that. And we talked about that you know networking aspect and the social aspect of 
conferences. But let's let's also look at you know other things. You know how to how you can really benefit from conferences. Do you have any any other advice, Rob, for the listeners? Well, I I think a, a great thing is kind of maybe to get there the night before the conference starts. So, for example, our one, as I said earlier, second place this Saturday. So. Um, you know, we've been encouraging people. Uh, we don't have anything official going on on, on the Friday night, but uh, we've been encouraging people, you know, to sort of uh, informally get together the night before um, so that people can kind of get to know each other and, you know, uh, start making those contacts as well. Um, another tip might be, you know, get, get there early to the conference, you know, before it starts. It's a great time in the morning just when everybody's kind of hanging around. It's a great time to kind of go around and just start chatting to people. Um, I think uh, like the conference that we were doing, uh, that we're doing this weekend, I just spent uh, the afternoon uh, doing the badges, you know, with people's names and the institution that they work at. Um, so we were doing those. So most conferences do things like that. So, so it means that you can sort of like take a stroll around and you can look and you can see where people um, are working from, what country they're from. And, you know, that makes it easier as well to start off a conversation. You know, if you, if you kind of see somebody that, that's from Spain or whatever, you can go up and you can start kind of engaging with them. You know, maybe it's a place that you lived in before. Uh, so I think getting there early in the morning and, and also, you know, giving yourself time to sit and to look at the, the program. So our program for um, the, the conference, so the, the conference, I'll just tell you the title and the subtitle of it. So it's EAP, uh, English for Academic Purposes as a Learning Community, New Directions and Opportunities. So um, you can get a, a copy of the program online at our site, uh, eapinireland.org. And you can take a look. And what I like to do is kind of uh, print off the, the program um, the day before, a couple of days before, and then have a look at all of the things that are happening. Because in a lot of these conferences, there might be um, many different sessions that are happening, happening simultaneously. And it's also, there's a huge amount of information uh, in the, the conference. So, you know, we, we have, um, I think, something like nearly 30 speakers. Um, so a lot of the, the sessions are going on simultaneously. So, you know, I would encourage anybody that's going to EAP in Ireland this weekend to kind of, uh, you know, sit down and maybe circle or highlight um, some of the, the, the speakers that you don't want to miss. Take a look at the sessions. Uh, let's see, you know, you can see what they're going to be talking about. That will help you, uh, you know, just like when we teach listening skills to our students. When you know who the speaker is, where they're from, where they work, a little bit about their background. Uh, a little bit, um, you know, if you read the blurb uh, in the program about what they're going to be talking about, this will help you sort of listen more effectively, won't it? Just, just like we tell our students. So that's one little tip that I, I would give to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And I, I also think that it's important to go a little bit beyond just reading the title because very often I've done that myself as well. When you're kind of in a rush and you just read a title and you go like, oh, I'll just go to this one. But I think it's really worth reading the abstracts because they give you much more information about what the talk mm. is really going to be about. So you avoid disappointment like that. But also, I, I had an interesting idea that I, I read a blog post by James Taylor the other day about, you know, sort of how to choose the conferences and how to choose the talks at conferences. It also made me think, you know, which talks I should go for because you have a, a difficult choice sometimes because you can either see somebody that you're friends with and maybe go to that talk to support them 
or maybe it's somebody that you know and you want to see them because you know them. So you go into that talk primarily for the, you know, for the personal aspect. Or you can also go for talks that you're particularly interested in, in the topic and maybe you already know a lot about the topic. Or you could also choose a talk that you're not, let's say you don't know anything about that topic. Like myself, I don't know much about teaching young learners, let's say. So I could go to a topic, you know, I don't know much about. And I think it's an, it's an interesting choice which of the three you would, you would go for. Because typically, I've, I've very often gone for the first or the second option. So either see somebody that I, that I know I'm friends with, you know, to give them some support, say hello and stuff like this. Or go to talks that I already know a lot about. So I'd go to talks on English as a lingua franca or native speakerism or those kind of things. Interestingly, like more and more, I sometimes get disappointed with the talks where, you know, I'm really interested in the issue and I know a lot about it. Because very often what happens is that the talk might sort of talk about the issues that, well, I've already thought about myself and, you know, I know enough about and you, I, you don't feel that you're learning anything new. So I'm kind of thinking to myself now that maybe, you know, I should really start going to talks perhaps on subjects that I know much less about. You know, mm. I don't know what you think of that advice. Um, I'd, I'd agree with you. Yeah. I mean, the ones that I've been most kind of uh, bored with, let's say, are the ones where, you know, I, I go to it because I'm interested in that topic and, you know, I tend to kind of, um, you know, not not really learn that much. That's that's new, and you know, I think that's that's uh, that's something that that can often happen. And and I think that's a really good tip to you know just to go to ones that you have very little knowledge about. You know, and and then you can kind of lose because you know, worst comes to worst, you'll spend an hour finding out about something uh, in ELC or in EAP that you don't know anything about. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's an excellent uh, way of going about it. Yeah, I guess, you know, the only, the only disadvantage of that is that if you, you know, if you pick something like, you know, young learners, for example, for myself, that I don't really teach young learners at the moment, then, you know, I'm kind of, I'm always thinking, well, how, how is that going to be useful, let's say, to, to, to my career? But I, I do think I should probably, you know, go, start going to, to talks where, you know, I don't really know that much about the area because, you know, then there's more chance that you will be learning something new. From, from that it was interesting as well to see conferences from the other point of view. Uh, for example, when we, we put the call for papers out, you know, we started getting uh, proposals in. And of course, we got, you know, we got over 100 proposals. Um, so, you know, like the, the whole process of whittling um, the proposals down to ones uh, that would eventually turn into talks and presentations at, at the session on Saturday was, was a very interesting journey for us. Can you, um, I mean, I'm sure that you can't give us sort of all the details uh, that, the, you know, uh, from, from the backstage, but can you, can you give us some, you know, uh, things about, you know, how this is actually, how this actually looks from, the other side from the side of yeah. the organizer? Yeah, I can, I can a little bit. I'm not going to mention any names, but, um, you know, because I don't want to um, give away personal information, but, you know, the people that, who, who we rejected, let's say. Um, but, um, for, ex for example, uh, we put out the call to paper, call for papers uh, back in March. And then by the beginning of the summer, um, we, you know, at first uh, it was slow. We were able to kind of, 
uh, read the ones that were coming in uh, in a lot of detail and we were very excited and uh, you know like the first few that we read we were like amazed that people wouldn't even want to speak in our conference at all you know and our expectations were lower but then you know as um, as the numbers started to to come in we ended up as I said getting over a hundred and then we had we had a reading committee so so basically we had um, about uh, 15 people um, that read each of the proposals and gave their opinion on it. Uh, basically, the opinions were fairly simple. It was like a yes or no or maybe. Uh, and then you had to write your reasons for it. So, um, so like there, there are people who we, we, uh, that are going to be speaking that um, you know, weren't given yeses by everybody. They might have been given a maybe by, by somebody else. And I think um, um, like I, I, it would be interesting to hear about uh, people who uh, were doing the behind the scenes work in other conferences because you know we didn't know how to do this we were just kind of making it up really as, as we go along because you know we're all kind of newcomers to the the whole science and art of organizing conferences so that's that's the way we went about it really and we, we just got as many people as possible to read them and kind of give their opinions on them and in, in some cases we got back to the, the speakers and and um, maybe we asked them to make some changes. Maybe we thought that there was too much for however long the, their their talk was going to be, or some sometimes uh, like people were able to do proposals for workshops or for talks. So some sometimes you know um, they would sort of send a proposal for a workshop, but it, it seemed to be more of a talk, and vice versa. So we would have to get back to them if we thought that it was. Uh, something that was worthwhile and that was something that that people would want to see at the conference you know we we thought it was it would be a shame to just reject it on the basis of that and we got back to them and we just said look this looks like a, a talk we what we want is a workshop you know maybe you didn't kind of see that it was a workshop that we were looking for for this particular session in the call for papers um and you know so there was sometimes kind of uh, a bit of uh to and fro with, with the speakers um but um, it, it was all worth it. And then, you know, a lot of it was sort of staying back after classes. I teach in, in UCC here in Cork, so there was a lot of, there was a few people, well, th three people that were on the, the conference committee in the university. So we were able to sort of get together after classes during the summer and uh, to read papers together. And uh, that, that helped to get some of it. Um, and then they were doing similar things in, in Trinity up in Dublin, in UCD. Um, and a few other universities around the country. So uh, we were able to kind of together uh, to whittle it down to hopefully what will be um, uh, an excellent selection of speakers on Saturday. All right, awesome. So um, you, you talked there about, you know, sort of how to get your talk accepted or avoid being um, having your proposal rejected at a, at a conference, mm. you know. <laughs> Um, so we might maybe end this podcast with giving a few more tips for people who are perhaps planning to submit their proposal, maybe for EAP Island next year or for another conference. So uh, you mentioned that, you know, if, you're, if the session says a workshop, then you've got to make sure that the proposal that you submit has practical activities, right? And that it's clear mm. from it that it's going to be a workshop and the participants will participate actively rather than it's going to be a lecture. Anything else that from your behind the scenes experience that you, any advice that you'd give to people? Um, well, I would say having read them, you know, um, 
like uh make sure that your language is simple and easy to understand um is kind of user friendly like that like uh if you like um so you know we're always telling our students aren't we you know to to keep it simple to make sure that you know keep your reader in mind at all times and you know don't overcomplicate um things and there was a there was a couple of papers where you know um the it was just impossible to figure out what the person was talking about at all there was one or two in particular uh that where you know we had 15 people read the proposal um like uh, multiple times i read it myself maybe about four times and was still at a loss what the proposal was actually about um so you know just like simply state you know what what the what the objective of the proposal is about you know like i mean uh yeah just keep the audience in mind who's going to be reading it and also you know that uh, people have a lot of proposals to read um and you know you just want to make their life a little bit easier um and like we said earlier if it's a conference make sure it has practical participative activities um etc so so just like nice kind of simple uh understandable language i think is all already um uh, a great idea and i think you know uh, no matter how complex the idea is carl sagan one of my favorite writers always used to say that even the most complex ideas can be explained using simple language so uh, there's no need to over complicate things you know yeah that no, would be absolutely. my advice I think it's, a, it's a real art to be able to explain grand ideas in simple not not simplistic but simple words that anybody can understand you know and i think that's mm. something that i found that, that you know some speakers kind of kind of miss that they, they use this language as you said especially you know some academics they use this language that's basically impenetrable to anyone who's not an expert in the in the field i think so mm. so that's that's really 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 good piece of advice i think but I would say to um, you know, like it was, um, it was a pleasure to read the proposals, and you know, the one thing, the one feeling that I had uh, was that you know I was sorry that um, not you know that so many of of the proposals couldn't be turned into actual workshops and, and talks, you know, because I think that was the biggest problem that you know, like unfortunately, we only have we only had a certain number of sessions. Um, we, it was a one day conference, maybe next time we'll, we'll make it, uh, two days, but you know, we had to turn down a lot of people and there was a lot of proposals that we were actively turning down where I was kind of, um, I felt sorry cause I, it was a, it was a proposal that I really wanted to see, but they were turned down, you know, for, for various reasons. Um, you know, and yeah, I suppose that's part of it that, you know, if you get, if you get a hundred, let's say papers, there might be. You know, 95 of them might be really, really interesting looking workshop proposals or uh, lecture proposals. But, you know, you can only have, let's say, 32 actual talks and workshops on the day. So, you know, uh, yeah, you end up turning down ones uh, that look like they would be really interesting. So uh, and that was certainly the case with our one. So, you know, if anybody who sent us a proposal is uh, listening, um, you know, the, we were really, really impressed at the standard of uh, proposals that we were sent so so thank you for those of those of you who wrote proposals to us if if you happen to have written them yeah and, and thanks for thanks for sharing the sort of behind the scenes as well because 
I've always wondered how proposals get accepted or turned down uh, as, a, as a speaker. You know, I've submitted a lot of proposals. Some of them have been turned down. Some of them have been accepted. And it's, you know, I've always been curious how it looks from the other side, from the organizer's perspective. So, so that was great. Yeah. Um, so let's wrap it up uh, here. And today we talked about how to make the most out of conferences. And we talked about different tips for networking with others, you know, how to reach out to speakers and organize meetups at the conferences, how to choose the right talks. And then we finished off by uh, talking about uh, how to get your talk accepted and how it looks from behind the scenes from the organizer's perspective. So thanks a lot, Rob. And uh, I hope that this will be a start of, you know, the new season and of regular podcasts once again. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, uh, give us, um, as usual, if you have any ideas about uh, talk or uh, podcast, uh, podcast topics, you'd like us to cover uh please let us know on uh, our yeah, twitter give feed. us give us a like give us a share and a comment we really really appreciate that so uh thanks a lot for